You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hello, and welcome back to the movie graveyard. We're so happy to be digging up another classic tonight. Everybody, you know me, this is the GOAT. Happy to be back, you know, rolling straight along, you know, end of the year, getting ready to power into 2018 here. Joined once again by the man, the myth, the legend, Trev3K. Trevor, how are you doing on this uh, foggy November Eve? No, I'm doing pretty great. Uh, really excited about tonight's tonight's film. Um, you know, it's interesting. You and I have done like so many 80s movies uh, but I feel like tonight might be the most 80s movie we've ever done. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, <laughs> not only is it crazy that we've never done a Burt Reynolds movie before, but just like everything about this movie uh, reeks of 80s in both good and bad ways. It does. And we're talking about the 80s, and we're going to be talking about the 80s for another way. But for if, in case you're a listener who's been with us since the very beginning, or maybe just gone back and listened to the old episodes, uh, just a quick note here. This is the episode in which the 1980s movie Graveyard is transitioning into the movie Graveyard. I got a good deal. There was actually a um, pig farm next door. All the pigs, they saw they got a mysterious disease. They died. The guy went bankrupt. You know, he left. So I was able to snatch that land up cheap. We've got so much more room now, don't we, Trev, in the Graveyard to put movies everywhere it's, in the ground. It's I mean, it's true. It's there's plenty of movies buried from other decades as well. And then besides, yeah. I guess said after tonight's film, I don't, I don't know if you can like really top this as an right. '80s movie graveyard. So, yeah. like so, we're blowing up the '80s tonight. So, so big announcement rolling. You know, going into 2018, we're blowing up the podcast bigger and better than ever. Now it's just a movie graveyard. We will be able to cover any movie that has, you know expired within the annals of so, so finally for, for all of you who've been waiting for goat night to tackle like the Melies silent films you know <laughs> oh i got them i got them. <laughs> i got the box set yeah we're mm-hmm. there. so so yeah so so you know we're not just gonna be uh you know like you said it, it's kind of crazy we're just now dipping into the catalog of uh one berton leon reynolds and uh you know, we can go deep now. We can go all the way back to the 70s, the 60s. You know, we can even do, do some of the material where he was playing fake Indians if we want to. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we're going to be rolling right along tonight with the Cannonball Run. Mm-hmm. I got a brand new setup here. I was really jazzed to record this uh, episode. Um, I got a whole new setup here, uh, you know, in addition to my computer monitor. Fans, like, since I've moved into the house I live in now for the last two years, I've been having to watch my movies when I record these through a freaking, through a reflection on my computer screen because the TV is behind me. Well, now i got a new mini monitor. I'm looking directly at it. I can read subtitles again. Subtitles aren't backwards for me. So I'm hoping, you know, this is a better, you know, leads to a better version of the show for all you faithful listeners out there. So... Well, thank God, because there's a lot of good dialogue tonight. So. Like, oh, yeah, we got to talk about this. Also, too, new setups. Congratulations to you, Trev. You are no longer using a gaming system to play your movies. You are now going region-free with region-free Blu-ray. So it's it's fitting that tonight we both have kind of new hot setups going on. 
Yeah, it's like this really is a true rebirth. It is, man. Plus, we're like Warner Brothers. We're just rebooting whenever we want. You know, <laughs> oh, course, yeah. we're course correcting. We're, we're you know, booting. We're course correcting. <laughs> taking studio notes. and <laughs> We're going into new and strange territory all over. Yeah, you can't see it, but Goat's upper lip is CGI right now. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, My lower lip is CGI right now, too, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get this movie rolling if you're following along with the DVD or uh, Blu-ray at home. I have not seen the Blu-ray of this. I've been working off the DVD, and so has Trev. So I'm not sure if the Blu-ray has any uh, extra, you know, whatever, little screens before the movie plays. But on this one, when you hit play on this DVD, it just goes straight into the movie. So we are on the zero-second mark, you know, of uh, the movie where it's literally a black screen. So when, I'm going to say one, two, three, go. When I say go, you're going to hit uh, play on your DVD, Blu-ray players. I guess not your PS3s and Xboxes. No, I got, a, I got a remote finally. <laughs> yeah, remote, like a, like civilized podcasters. <laughs> All right, Trev, you got remote in hand? I do. All right, everybody, one, two, three, go. And here we are rolling with the camera. And, and like, what's funny, too, is, like, um, you know, I'm imagining that, that the DVD you have is the same DVD I have, Trev, and it's, um, it was actually, isn't it, like, HBO Home Video? Yeah. Which is funny because, like, the movie starts out with 20th Century Fox logo. That's, like, really cool. It's a completely, it looks normal at first, but it's a completely, like, reanimated version, ain't it? Yeah, because you got these like cartoon cars come in. Uh, one of them crashes, and then you get uh, Burt Reynolds' signature laugh actually play <laughs> over the, uh, the logo. And then right away, like so, uh, first of all, you're welcome, Goat, because this movie was a recommendation I made. Uh, yeah. You and I had been trying to figure out something to do non horror related, and I threw yeah. this one out. And it's because I I loved this movie as a kid, man. I watched this so much when I was a little kid, and I honestly hadn't watched it, and I bet like 20 years. Wow. And revisiting it now is really interesting because, like, the other day when I watched it, right after that 21st, 20th century uh, Fox logo, it says Golden Harvest Presents. And I was like, oh, my God, Golden Harvest made this? That blew my mind, too. For people who don't know, Golden Harvest is a very big and successful uh, Hong Kong film company that made a lot of Jackie Chan movies. And it actually made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, if mm-hmm. you can believe that or not. They, they didn't just make movies in China. They made them here, too. And right off the bat, we're starting with a great theme song. Um, and this is like a Lamborghini, man. Talk about a car that just screams the 80s, you know? Oh, exactly. Now, of course, this isn't the first movie about the Cannonball. For those who don't know, if you, for some of you don't know, the Cannonball is a illegal cross-country race. And this was actually like kind of, you know, uh, just another in a long line of them. Not long line, but I mean, we had Gumball Rally in the 70s and uh, Cannonball starring David Carradine. Have you seen either of those? I have a long yeah. time ago, of course, but I have. And then, so this was a then the the oh, gumball go rally was even subject to um, a jackass special for TV. <laughs> yeah, that's how famous yeah. it is. Really, even all them years later. Now, I, one thing I should talk. I think we should mention here is the um, as we see this awesome Lamborghini getting chased, like really out in the southwest. It looks like. By a highway patrol that's like, like what is this, a firebird that, that is? Uh, yeah, it looks like it, yeah. Yeah. And, and like right there, I mean, I know, you know, sometimes cops would, um, you know, uh, police departments would, would get faster cars like that. But I have a hard time believing there was really ever a firebird. Uh, yeah, but in Hal Needham's world. Yeah, yeah, this is the great Hal Needham. So let's talk about the cast of this movie. 
Well, yeah, as all these names flash by, it reminds yeah. you of like what what is the appeal of this film? Because um, it's not the story, <laughs> which we'll yeah. get into. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's very much designed to be just an all star movie, and uh, yeah. you know, this comes from a time. These you know, this is kind of a common thing too, right? With these, uh, you think of like it's a mad, 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 mad world. These kind of like road travel movies where you can just throw a bunch of different stars into a, a car and. Uh, create like an all-star film and this is just about a bunch of like really famous people in a really goofy movie and i feel like it's not something we see anymore because you know everyone wants to be like the stars want to be the star you know yeah Yeah, and just to run it down for people who aren't that familiar this is a a who's who of the early 80s we got burton reynolds we got roger moore farrah fawcett dom DeLuise, dean martin sammy davis jr the wonderful and mercurial Jackie Lamb, uh, Adrian Barbeau, Terry Bradshaw, Jackie mm-hmm. Chan. Yep. Mel Tillis, Mel- Jamie Farr. Yeah, Pete Fonda, Peter Fonda. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you really hit the mega wattage when you get into the cameo of Jimmy the Greek Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> famous famous bookie, Jimmy the Greek Snyder. Famous bookie, Jimmy. Now, now this is where, like, like you know, it, like I all right off the bat, I was getting confused because you know we get to that opening car chase, which it really is at this point in time is just a random generic car chase between some women in Lamborghini and cops. But there's just you know it was a nice credit sequence, you know. Although those racers are in the race later on, but here we meet. It's like a land, sea, air, like shipping company. But then mm-hmm. we go inside, and it's actually like. You know, Dom DeLuise and, and Bert, they're, they're working on cars and other people are working on race cars in there. And, like, what did you think? Was this really their shop that was, like, an undercover hot rod building shop? Or was this just a place that they temporarily stayed? I think this is, like, a permanent scam these guys got going on here, right? Well, no, I, don't think, I mean, I don't know. See, here, here's the thing. I'm glad you brought this up because I don't think it's a scam. I took it. There's this, this is where they really work. And then, like, once a year they, they you know, try to do the cannonball. But they clearly have an interest in vehicles because they work here. But what I noticed about this movie is the structure of it is so bizarre, right? Because right. if you made this film today, clearly the first half hour of the film would be introducing us to all these different pairs and like giving us the backstory of why they want to win. Mm-hmm. And it would be like these stories of how they need the money to keep this shop open. And then right. somebody else needs the money for a family member. And this movie doesn't fuck around with that stuff. Like oh, it just oh, like no. introduces you to the characters and they, you just say like they want to win a race. And it, go, it gets kind of jumps right to it. So you don't really get any backstory on anybody other than, hey, these two guys know each other and work at the shop and everything. Um, and then you just kind of jump right into the race. And I even thought the structures here, like, so here we have the first talk of Dom DeLuise is, of course, playing the comedic sidekick to uh, Burt Reynolds' J.J. McClure character. And he starts talking here about a mysterious him, you know, and uh, Burt Reynolds says, I don't want to hear about him. And again, in a modern movie, we wouldn't find out who him is until pretty far in. And right. instead, the very next scene with them, they just give it away, you know. Exactly. And, Which and, is, we'll get to that, I guess. But. Yeah, and here we have with the mega star of the decades right here, Jimmy the Greek Snyder. Um, he's talking to a fairly unknown uh, entertainer by the name of Sammy Davis Jr. And I got to say, like... When I was a kid, I was actually kind of a fan of Sammy Davis Jr., and I'm pretty sure it was from the two mm-hmm. first two Cannonball movies, because I was, like, I was racking my brain when I was watching this the other night, and I think that's the only place I, like, I would have known Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. from, you know what I mean? I'd say Jimmy the Greek Snyder looks a lot like Charles Nelson Riley, though. That's who I thought it was when he first... Yeah, so now here we find out who him is, uh, that is uh, 
Dom DeLuise's character has a alter ego called Captain Chaos. Yes. A masked superhero character. And I think it's really weird, too, because they just, like, ran through a roadblock, right? Right. But we see no repercussions of this. They're, like, they're like days away. And that was the car Bert was working on. I have to say, it was a pretty lame car. I'm glad they crashed. It was, like, a, a, a primered, really nasty early 70s Porsche with... Uh, a really comical and bad spoiler on the back. I'm a big Porsche fan. That's my favorite brand of cars. But this one was really nasty. It was painted like flat primer. Like, I don't know what it was. Maroon, muddy brown. And like, yeah, there was like a, a roadblock for no reason. And so they just went off into the, uh, you know, later on, they're shown to be master race car drivers, kind of. But they just went off the road there. And then like, literally, it wasn't even as much of a crash, was it? As much as just like the front of the car exploded in mm. three pieces. <laughs> Now here we have the introduction of Dean Martin and go. Let me ask you. Look at this. How drunk is Dean Martin right here? He is so drunk. His face is so red. <laughs> like, yeah. He, you can tell he's just like this scene in particular. He's just not there. It's and I have to say it like I did. Like obviously I should have known it from all the old you know performers or whatever. But watching this movie the other night and then I did some research. It was the first time I realized Dean Martin had fake hair. Yeah. But it's pretty stylish fake hair for fake hair from back then. Dean Martin is my favorite member of the Rat Pack, I must say. Yeah, he's kind of mine too. I mean, well, I really like Sammy, but them two kind of go hand in hand. But so now all of a sudden, Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds are in an airplane. Now, <laughs> obviously, they needed to do something. And by the way, they're drinking cans of Budweiser. <laughs> well, can like so okay. I guess we should probably. This is a great time to talk about Hal Needham, the writer and director of this film. Right. Uh, for those who don't know, Hal Needham was a uh, a stunt man, a very a very well regarded stunt man um, who ended up kind of becoming best friends with the Burt Reynolds and actually lived with them for like a long time. And he had written a script called Smoking the Bandit, and Burt Reynolds was like, "Oh, I you know I'll actually make that with you." And of course, it was a big hit, and that kind of wrote Hal Needham kind of a blank check in Hollywood for a long time, where he got to make all these different films he just had ideas for and. This is definitely a film where you, it's everything in this seems based around the idea of Hal Needham thinking of a stunt he wants to film and just figuring out how to like story wise get to that. It, so the whole reason they're in a plane is so they could land a plane in the middle of a right. small town as we just saw here. And it's kind of cool too because you can clearly see down the street that the traffic's like blocked off, but then they have like mm-hmm. fake traffic in in between, so it could like you know all the cars and the people on bicycles and shit could. To like get out of the way, yeah. when the and you can see lights. people lined up too, like waiting to watch the stunt. And... Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like, like literally, there's like, like what was that? Like about 200 kids back there come running out of the yeah. park to see the plane land. Which nowadays, I don't think movie companies will let the civilians be that close to an airplane dipping down or flying off and all that shit. Here, now here we get to what I do think is like legit, really funny and like probably the best right. like joke in the movie. Um, we like have Roger Moore. Corny, funny, but funny, funny. <laughs> yeah, no, Roger Moore playing not Roger Moore, but instead playing what's uh, Seymour? What's his last name? It's like Seymour. Yeah, Seymour Goldfarb. Yeah, Seymour yeah. C- Goldfarb Jr., who is a rich, yeah, uh, like kind of spoiled brat kid who think they're not kid, but a rich spoiled brat that thinks he's Roger Moore. Right, and obviously, because oh, it's Roger Moore playing the part. Everywhere he goes, people mistake him for Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. Now, I read that the original joke was that they actually wanted him to play Roger Moore, who thinks he's James Bond. 
And right. the James Bond people did not want Roger Moore to do that. And the the like concession they came up with was this idea of him playing Seymour Goldfarb Jr., who thinks he's Roger Moore, which I actually think is a much better joke. Yeah, I, and uh, I, I, yeah, I want to take this opportunity to say I think the the um, James Bond people they're kind of assholes, aren't they? they don't they kind of oh, yeah. poo oh, poo yeah. every cool thing that could be done with James Bond? Yeah, pretty much. And I'll say, watch this because you know, go you and I've had this discussion before. Roger Moore is like by far my least favorite James Bond. Mm-hmm. But this then reminded me of like why I don't dislike Roger Moore though, and that right. it's just like I don't I don't like that tone of James Bond, but he's really funny in this, and it's like he always had that sense of humor about himself, and this is like pretty clever meta humor for the eighties, I think. Like really at the is. time where he's like at his biggest, he's mocking himself in this film. Like like when James Franco and all those guys did that shit, and this is the end, whatever it was, like five years ago, people really thought that was cutting edge. Imagine Roger Moore was doing this in 1981, right? That's when this movie came mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah, 81. Which means we also get to have like that fake James Bond music that plays every time yeah. he comes on screen. And I gotta say that like they, they were, um, you know, they were coming close with that theme, man. It, at first, like it had me a little bit fooled, but then I, you know, okay, so Dom DeLuise. And um, Burt Reynolds, they flew a plane just to the crash. And then all of a sudden, next thing you see, they're in a boat. And then, like, they crash mm-hmm. into, like, a like pretty much a houseboat full of people partying. But we didn't actually see the crash. Now, why do you think they didn't do, like, a stunt right there? They just, like, we just got a literally maybe a sound they, effect. I know. I only could wonder if, like, maybe they tried it and it didn't work, you know? Right. Well, we do have a director cameo here, though. Hal Needham is the, uh, the paramedic talking to them about how cops don't stop there he is uh, cops don't stop ambulances yeah yeah i i thought i recognized him when i was uh watching this the other night damn he's a rugged man his lip is com- his bottom is completely split open just like mine is right now because of this trying winter well weather. i don't think you get i mean i you know yeah when you say rugged man i don't think you get like more macho than like i'll need him right yeah. and then it's like and then that's what like burt reynolds just oozed at this time too right like yeah it's it's interesting. Like the reason I said it's interesting we've never done a Burt Reynolds movie is just people forget he was the number one box office star for a for like long four time. Years, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't even close. Now one the one thing that's not macho though is those paramedic jackets that Hal Nina was wearing and the later the other guys were. But we'll get to that later. But we need to talk about this right here, Trey. We got to call this out. Okay, this, we, this is there's so the, much to talk about. Yeah, this is one of the most racist things I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> and what's funny was it was actually the people who racially are being slighted in a way are the ones who did this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're talking. So, yeah, yeah, this is so confusing. This a little bit. Okay. So this is, we, here we have Jackie Chan. This is Jackie Chan's American film debut and he's playing himself. They clearly call him Jackie Chan. He's being interviewed on a, uh, a Japanese TV show, but he's not Jackie Chan, famous Chinese martial artist. He's Jackie Chan, famous Japanese race car driver. Right. And I just, it's so weird because it feels like it's designed because, because you said, because Golden Harvest produced this, it's clearly designed as like an, a way to introduce Jackie Chan to American audiences, but they're presenting him with a different nationality and saying he's a race car driver instead of just saying, why don't they just say he's like a martial artist that's being put in the race for like a promotional stunt? And you know, what's funny now is like, you know, obviously we have a, a little bit of a, a global filmmaking revolution and distribution revolution last few years with China becoming a huge market uh for distributing american movies but then they're also china some studios over there are making movies to export and you think golden harvest be one of the oldest chinese studios you know and this was being a worldwide movie with big hollywood movie stars you think they would want 
a Chinese star, you know, box office star like Jackie Chan to be representing the country of China. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. it's weird. Well, you said that was one of the most racist things you've ever seen, so let's move on to the second most racist thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's, of course, Jamie Farr playing the Sheik. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, a not very subtle uh, parody of Middle Eastern uh, Islamic right. uh, people. And, like, right off the bat, this, like, struck me as weird, you know, because the ethnicity he's playing. I was like, I was like, it, like, and I don't know why, because obviously we just got done watching Jackie Chan for no reason pretending to be Japanese. But when I saw the Sheik in here, I was like, I was like, this is so fucked up. He was, uh, I was like, and I don't know how, I, I really don't know how I knew this, but the first thing that popped in my head was like, wait, like Jamie Farr's Lebanese. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and like, here's uh, Bianca Jagger, who's also kind of famous playing the Sheik's mm-hmm. sister. But, um, I, you know, like, I kind of wish they would have, like, racially got somebody who's a little more you know, close to the role or whatever, and not just, you know... Cannonball will fall to the forces of Islam. Yeah. But but I thought there was some funny, some legit funny stuff with the Sheik, just, you know, not racially, fun, you know, humor, but just some good slapstick-type comedy with the Sheik. Well, he's the only character that's in all three Cannonball Run movies, and if yeah, anyone is right. confused by what I mean, uh, yes, there is a third one, yeah. although it was renamed uh, Speed Zone at the right. last minute. Uh, and I think that's because they maybe the, because Burt Reynolds and most of the other big ones didn't come back. They didn't. They just thought they'd try something different. But uh, the presence of the Sheik tells you it's an actual part of the continuity. Right. That one stars uh, John Candy and I believe Eugene Levy, some of those like SCTV yeah. people. Yeah, I briefly looked up the uh, Wikipedia for the other day, and um, yeah, this this is another like character or whatever. Like I didn't really understand like what why. Is, so many people were gathered to watch this guy skydive. Well, and then I feel like the movie forgets about this character too. Yeah, because like he kind of, like you know they show him at the start of the cannonball, and like you really don't see him to like almost the end. Mm-hmm. Now, like, did they really go out of their way to find a hotel that had the the restaurant in it called the Cannonball Pub? I always like like that too. Is like it's an illegal race, but like everybody knows where it starts, and like right, yeah. they it like started as like a big convention at a hotel. And it's funny too, because like immediately off the bat, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but immediately off the bat, when the cannonball run starts, they start setting roadblocks up like five miles away. If you know where it starts, why well, don't put the roadblock in like the parking lot? Yeah, why not just arrest them before they start? Yeah. Now here we kind of have like the hillbilly guys, right? Yeah, who of course are going to be in a Hal Needham movie. Yeah, so the Hillbilly guys is Mel Tillis and Terry Bradshaw, which, like, I don't, you know, I guess football players like Jim Brown and stuff, like, I guess a lot of football players did, you know, get in movies back then, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I found this pretty inspired casting to get Terry Bradshaw to play Hillbilly guy. Well, they're really good together, too, right? These two characters right. are really fun. And I even read in the trivia that uh, they they liked these characters so much that they actually pitched, like, a TV spinoff with these two. Okay. Uh, but it just it just never quite got going. But I, I, I could see that. Like, these, I could see this as, like, a, a weekly show with these two idiots, you know, getting in different schemes. And they do play off each other really well. Yeah, and, and for people who aren't watching the movie or haven't seen the movie, like, these two hillbillies, they're driving, a, like, a race car, like, like, not really like a NASCAR, but just like a regular car painted up with Hawaiian Tropic sponsorship. I, I don't know what their plan was, but they they pull in to the to you know the motel or whatever, 
They got Hawaiian Tropic sponsorship on the side. Somehow the hood of the car flies up. They can't see. They drive literally into the pool of the car. I mean, into the they drive the car into the pool where literally like all the Hawaiian Tropic models are. Like I didn't really get all that product integration <laughs> like within one scene there. Now you, you gotta explain this to me, Trev, because I watched this and I did not get why these two characters were paired up, Farrah Fawcett and then the guy. Like I know she's a photographer, but mm-hmm. I didn't really understand who he was. Like were they was was like he her boss or like why? Well, no, he. I think she's just sticking with him because she feels like she can get like a good uh, she can get good photos or a story out of him. Mm. But he works for, like, the government, right? So we're talking about, so this is George Firth, who uh, you would definitely recognize if you saw him. He's just kind of one of those guys who is, uh, you know, he's in Blazing Saddles and, like, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Just a character actor at the time who was quite prevalent. And he's playing the villain of this film, who's basically, like, a government agent trying to shut down the cannonball. And he's being asked to speak at this convention that just so happens to be right where they're starting the cannonball run. And uh, he's kind of smitten by Farrah Fawcett's uh, photographer, as anybody, as any man would be in the at 80s. this time, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he starts hitting on it right away. And then, yeah, like you said, they kind of get paired up for a little bit until, uh, of course, uh, the heroes of the movie kidnap her, <laughs> which we'll get to yeah. later. And, of course, he's named uh, Arthur J. Foyt. Um, or I think it's Arthur F. Foyt, but it's A.F. Foyt, which is a takeoff on A.J. Foyt, of course, the famous race car driver. Right. And, you know, for the listeners, sorry that I'm so confused about the setup of this movie, but literally you can't get through one, like, exposition scene without it constantly cutting back to, like, some hijinks that are going on in the parking lot at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So, so you I know- mean, it's like, this movie is like, this is ADD editing. Like, right. Before that was a thing. Yeah, like like uh, it it gets a little more easy to follow once everything gets on the road, but the beginning part of the movie, which by the way we should say, this is a ninety minute movie, that's all about a race. Well, the race don't start till about a good fifty minutes into the movie. <laughs> so like, I really thought they were going to be on the road within twenty minutes or something, you know, in this movie. But th- there's so much setup with so much characters going. Like you're constantly being introduced. Yeah, too, but like I said, but they said the crazy thing is that when you say it, it's not set up about like giving them backstories or anything, mm-hmm. it's just introducing them and right. showing us a bunch of wacky stuff they all do before the race. You're right. And here's here's a couple guys here that also I feel like kind of you know like that other character with the motorcycle we we're talking about. Like I think these guys kind of got the short end of the stick yeah. here because they kind of disappear. And this this one guy. Uh, People recognize him. He was always playing the mostly like New York movies, but he also did other ones. It was the uh, the guy the guy with the voice like this? Like mm-hmm. like he played one of the um, um, killers in uh, Ghost with uh, was that the name Ghost with uh, Patrick Swayze? Yeah, yeah. He he played one of the killers in Ghost, and then he was the trash can man. No, it wasn't trash can man. He was like the rap man in uh, the Stand. Do you remember him from that trip? Uh, vaguely. I remember Matt Frewer as a trash can yeah, man. Yeah, he's a trash so, yeah. can man. Forgive yeah. me. But this guy, I just had his his name on the tip of my tongue, now I'm blanking on it. It's a, is it a Rick Avils or something? Rick Avils, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe he plays the rap man. There's so many, it's like The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand was uh, like the, the Masters of the Universe for its time. He's also in Carlito's Way, Godfather Part Three. Always in small parts, of course, but he he made his presence uh, 
know for sure. Let's see. Now, during this like little comedic scene, go. This seems like a good time for us to just slow down a minute and have me ask you something. Uh, I, I I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say I bet you're a Burt Reynolds fan. Yeah, I am. Like, uh, and I would I would ask you. So, what's your take on? So we like we said, he was the number one box office star for a pretty long time. Beloved, people thought this is he was as good as it gets in Hollywood, right? Um, but what's your take on like him as an actor? Because I feel like okay, so you watch the like, Deliverance, and he's so good, right? right. But you kind of can't deny the fact that in like the vast majority of his films, and this is a good example. Like, I like him in this, but it's pretty clear he doesn't care. <laughs> He just yeah. always has this kind of like detached, like yeah, whatever kind of attitude. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, running by you, what did you think? Is like I was kind of surprised because he came off to me as kind of like a smarmy asshole in this. Like he wasn't. Yeah, well, that, but then I was thinking like, well, that you exactly. But then I was re- remembering that I used to watch all these movies with him as a kid, and he's kind of that and everything. Like it's yeah. for for him being the number one star. It's like, well, that was his persona. It's just this smarmy piece of shit kind of guy you know yeah like i feel like he was a little more charming and smoky because he had a little more of um because there was like a lot of romantic tension between him and sally field and whatnot like Mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's when he's with the woman i feel like he comes off as more likable because he's trying to get the romantic chemistry when he's with like dom de louise like he just he, like you would think like in between takes he would just would be like punching Dom DeLuise in the balls you know what I mean like he mm-hmm. just really comes off as like an asshole. Like we have to talk about this because like this whole scene where you know Bert and Dom DeLuise you know they got the idea for riding in the ambulance the cops never stop ambulances so that's what they got to do you know they got this ambulance they souped it up whatnot. Now they got those hideous fucking paramedic jackets on that they're growing up. These are like orange, like real lightweight nylon windbreakers. And I was really surprised that uh, Bert wanted to be wearing this shit for the whole movie. I mean, I almost give him a little credit for being self-defacing there, you know, because he wasn't trying to like look cool or nothing in a leather jacket. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just realized they're kind of iconic looking though, right? Like it's, yeah. you, re- you remember that. But, um. Yeah, so, like, this is kind of like everybody is, like, at the bar of the hotel, the Cannonball Run, and here we really start establishing that Sammy and, um, you know, Dean Martin are just complete drunks, and they will be completely drunk for the rest of the movie, like, completely. Mm-hmm. Well, but, in real life and in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Sammy, Sammy, I think, was catching a good buzz. I, I really think there's no way they could even for five minutes let Dean like drive a car. Cause when you see their shots, like the car always stops and then it cuts and then they get out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we should point out again, for those who haven't seen the movie, like there is, I do like, it's an interesting idea that as you said, Bert and Dom have decided to dress up as a, uh, you know, paramedics in an ambulance and Sammy Davis Jr. And Dean Martin are dressed as priests, right. uh, which I thought was a, a real fun, you know, bit. Yeah, and it, but I mean, with Burton and Dom, it makes sense because like they're they're driving around an ambulance. The priest, like they're just driving around in a Lamborghini or for, no, a right? Ferrari, I think yeah. I mean I guess their thought is just like a cop pulls over a priest to let them go still. Yeah. But here we go, you know, just a couple women in the corner of the bar looking real attractive. Um, Bert and Dom go over to introduce us, but it turns out these ladies are actually cannonballers themselves, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, Adrian Barbeau and uh, uh, <laughs> someone yeah. else. I keep forgetting this this other lady's name, but uh, Bert and the Bert and Dom they kind of strike out here in a second, and then like Bert turns around and he catches a 
a glimpse of fair and like we gotta talk about what is this 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 blouse this where it looks it looks like Farah is wearing like a terry cloth bath towel that's been draped over her and like cut down to about her navel to show as much cleavage as possible and then apparently bert was um yeah look at bert he's making like raspberry noises with his mouth to these women like, he don't give a shit he's like yeah struck out and i'm here okay here's the shot i'm talking about what the mm-hmm. hell is Farrah fossil wearing i mean it was very cold in this location obviously because yeah. you you could cut diamonds right now and then like <laughs> I mean, that doesn't even look like a real shirt. Or maybe it was a real shirt, and then, like, they just took scissors to it. Because it's even, like, jagged looking down the front. Like, yeah, it, it looks like it's it's been it's definitely been altered, I think. Yeah. And, like, and, and, and it's been cut open in, like, the last five minutes in a hurry, too, right before they did this shot, it looks like. Here's Bert. And I'll give Bert credit. Obviously, you know, he's trying to get, like, the girl, the movie, and all that kind of stuff here. But they show him as, wouldn't you say... Just like not being smooth at all, like he's constantly fumbling and bumbling. He can't keep his wits about him, you know. Mm-hmm. This you, is the scene where I really started to like kind of track, like a uh, note to uh, Burt Reynolds' mustache. Of course, one of the most yeah. iconic mustaches in movie history. And I was just looking at it and being like, "Wow, that's kind of interesting because it's actually a really bad mustache." <laughs> you know, like it's it it's uneven on one side of his face; it hangs down a little lower. Uh, kind of grows over his lip on one side. It's just uh, it's, yeah. it's not the greatest. Yeah, and and Bert's really known for you know a couple different things, but I say the main thing is his mustache. And you wouldn't think you know I'm getting ready to go film this movie in 20 days or whatever. You, you'd think he would have got that shit on point, but I guess he just didn't care, you know. Mm-hmm. No, here's the thing too, is I don't know how old Bert was in this movie. I want to guess easily either upper 40s, maybe really early 50s. I could be wrong about that. But, like, I'm not used to seeing, and there ain't nothing wrong with it, but I'm not used to seeing a lead in a movie with such a, a weathered forehead. Like, did that, the Burt's, like, deep-ass creases in his forehead. Because the rest of his face really don't look that old to me, but. Well, I, don't, I would just think there's something, like, at this time, you know, like, leading men, look, you said, like, looked more, like, rugged than right. they do now. Like, I mean, this is a time, you know, like, you know, the leading men of the era were Burt Reynolds, Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, like, someone like Jan Michael Vincent, who would actually uh, be the other lead in another Hal Needham, Burt Reynolds movie, uh, Hooper. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's just like, you know, people, they want, uh, people wanted men that looked more like men, I guess, you know, yeah. pretty and, boys hadn't taken over yet. And like, they didn't mind back then, I think, if you like, you was a little bit older either, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you, I mean, you, you, like, I mean, I, you know, father time is uh, undefeated and all, but like, I don't, I don't think you'll really be seeing Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans in movies when they're in their early fifties, you know, playing the lead at least, you know? The other thing we got to talk about, and I'm just this is just on the top of my head because last night I saw the um, the the biggest you know superhero film of all time, The Justice League, starring Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. And like one thing that really bugs me about when Ben Affleck plays um, Batman is he has fake hair. I don't know why. I, like I don't if that's just the hairstyle they want, and Ben's real hair don't look like that or what. But he always has like a big line of glue on his forehead when he plays Batman. And like, that's the funny thing is like actors now, like they always get like that kind of hairpiece that's like glued to the front. So you see like a big line of glue going across usually in certain lighting. And I have to say, I actually like 
you know, kind of the the hairstyle Bert's rocking in this, where it's just it's just you ain't seeing really like every pore in his head. It's just kind of you know like a mass of hair that's you know because like I know a lot of people make fun of Bert's hair and shit like that, but like you know like when you look back, guys like Bert and William Shatner and everything, like. I think part of their iconic look was that that type of hair that they had. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if there's one thing that we could probably be pretty certain about a Hal Needham production is he wasn't really worried about people's hair or makeup. <laughs> no, because uh, everybody's just, got like like alcoholic, ruddy complexions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just need to get him into a car and smash him through a wall. That's all he was worried about. Like if they if they wrap filming, you know, on a day of Cannonball Run, and like you know, midnight or something. I think everybody was partying till like five in the morning, getting 45 minutes sleep and being back on the set at like 8 a.m. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like you said, this movie is any excuse for a stunt that the, the guy who's going to do the cannonball, the big stuntman guy in a, a motorcycle, he literally just drove the motorcycle through the whole hotel, smashing the windows Mm-hmm. Our, our bad guy, he had to jump through a window to avoid being run over and whatnot. Just anything for any physical pratfalls, right? And here we have the first appearance of that fake James Bond music. Yeah. Um, and also the first bit of a, a really funny recurring joke that I don't know even if as a kid when I used to watch the last time I picked up on it. But in every time we have a new scene with Roger Moore, he's with a different woman. Um, even during the race, like he'll be, they'll cut yeah. to him and then they'll cut back to him and suddenly there's a different woman in the car with him. And I thought that was pretty clever too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this movie ain't really trying to spell out the continuity for you. I mean, every time early on you, you see Bert, he, he's in a car, he's in a plane, he's in a boat. So <laughs> yeah. Cause he even signs it as Roger Moore here. <laughs> Little kids are taken. I never had one of those cameras like that that were like long and skinny. I wonder if they took shitty pictures because they always look like little toys. Mm-hmm. Now here we come with some even more characters that I feel like, like I don't know, like I really don't know what the point of introducing these guys were. Was the van guys because they're really in yeah. only like two or three scenes. But like they're kind of like some uh, what would you like? They're kind of hillbilly guys too, but they're like they're like in some weird Super Mario Brothers overalls. <laughs> yeah, they look more cartoony than than the rest. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This is just called like stacking the deck, right? Like Hal Needham just wants to give us so many like recognizable kind of pairs to like just do crazy stuff with them later. Yeah. I do love just Mel Tillis and Terry Bradshaw just stacking their car up with Budweiser though. Oh yeah, and I was I was meaning to bring this up to you. I like I mean I don't remember buying it because I was a kid, but I do remember back then like you couldn't buy like a big cardboard box of beer. You had mm-hmm. or soda sometimes. You had to buy like Pepsi or whatever, and it just like it was you had to basically buy what four six packs and like they were in a cardboard carton type thing. Yeah. But I mean, wouldn't that beer be like piss warm like the entire time you're driving? I mean, why would you want to? You know, I don't think that's, that's like those guys don't strike me as people that care. Yeah. What about you, Trevor? Have you ever been a warm beer drinker? Oh no, I need a cold. I, I can't stand it at all. I can't get. I, I don't get people who drink room temperature beer. But yeah, and obviously the joke there was they load in a case of beers and all this, and Terry Bradshaw asked. Uh, Mel Tillis, like, did you get any food? And, like, he had, like, a little tiny bag of, like, pork rinds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let me – I don't know if you thought about this the the other night when you watched this goat, but I want to talk about the rules of this race, right? Yeah. Because here we have the actual beginning of it, 
And when you drive off from this hotel, the, the idea is you punch a, a time card. Right. And then when you get to the finish line across the country, you punch the time card to show how fast you did that. Right. And, like, obviously the winner is the person who did it in the shortest amount of time. But when we get to the end of the film, <laughs> everyone is, like, racing against each other, like, trying to make it to the finish line right. first. Right. But that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, it, that the, doesn't the, matter. Yeah, the, the it's like they forgot the rules or maybe they're like, oh, shit, like, like those rules aren't going to make for an exciting movie halfway yeah. through that realized it. Because, like, they actually stagger them all out by, like, a couple minutes because they, they all pull up and they do, like, a little... Yeah, it feels like it's, it's a process that takes quite a while. Yeah, because there's so many entrants into the Because while some people are taking off, other people are just kind of, like, farting around in the parking lot still, like, not even getting close to taking off. Right. Some people are just, like, still partying in the background. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this almost reminded me of, like, And even this, why did the girl, like, run up to punch it? It doesn't right. matter. You don't need to be in a hurry. No. Like, I mean, all that... You know, the, the what matters is the 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 exact time you know yeah. so i mean in theory you wouldn't even really know who won the race until like everybody got there and the the organizers but yeah, at the end there's just like a clear-cut winner at the end you know mm-hmm. and here we you know, I, I was kind of surprised that they put so much like whatever on this was you know, this is the last minute they're getting ready to pull away, and they need a doctor for the ambulance. And I never got that. Dude, back then, did a doctor really have to like be in an ambulance at all times? <laughs> yeah, I don't get that either. Like they keep saying they need that to sell it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure doctors aren't in the ambulance, yeah. but and because well, I mean, you know, spoilers, spoilers. Like we we get a, uh, you know, they do end up having someone to put in the back as a patient, but the patient was never their plan, though, right? So what's right. the point of having like a fucking fake doctor or a real doctor who's drunk if there's no patient? It's just like, oh, we're trying to get this doctor to the hospital. Like <laughs> that doesn't make you know really any sense. And I was doing some research, and um, like we said, because the Cannonball Run actually is a real race. Um, mm-hmm. One of the uh, previous years, like a couple years before they made the movie, somebody did actually do the Cannonball in a. Uh, uh, ambulance. That's where they got the idea from. Wasn't it Hal Needham? Because I know Hal yeah, Needham ran. Think, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. And then we feel like Jackie Chan and his uh, partner just drove by without even punching their time right. card. Wait, and wait, I thought I thought that was going to come back in the end. I thought they, like they were going to win, yeah. but like not. But then they weren't allowed to win. But nope, it doesn't matter. The, and, and we haven't talked about it for the listeners. Is the the the, the quote unquote Japanese guys like their whole thing is like their cars full of like bunch of phony technology or whatever and it's just like a subaru or something car it ain't like a super fast sports car or anything but like yeah like what was the point if you weren't going to take the car i mean i I think the joke is like they're so excited they didn't even know that you had to take the card or whatever Mm -hmm. but yeah what was really the point because there's no way they can they they literally technically can't win And here we have Dean Martin being lecherous with uh, Adrian Barbeau and her friend. Because they're like in some, um, these women, they're like in some like kind of satiny polyester like zip up body suits, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And obviously with them, like their whole thing is they're going to get out of all the tickets by showing their boobs. And there is like a good six or seven or eight scenes of them getting pulled over and showing their boobs in this film. And, like, the hillbilly guys here, they, they were in no hurry. Like, they were just sitting on, yeah. the, you know, dropping beer cans everywhere. They looked like they already, from the shit they dropped on the ground, they looked like they already killed at least a six-pack. 
Yeah, that's a good idea at the hotel when there's a legal race being run. Just put a giant banner that says Go Cannonballers. <laughs> go Cannonballers. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Rick Avalos, a.k.a. The Rap Man. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, he, he's pulling off. And, like, his his whole thing, in, uh, you know, they have, like, a truck, so they're just going to drive through, like, forest and shit <laughs> and run mm-hmm. down trees. Like, they don't need to... Uh, you Which know. is another thing I wish they kept cutting back to because it's a yeah, funny but idea. They never, yeah, they, they really don't get in the, they really don't get the payoff for a lot of these jokes. Really, Roger Moore. Yeah, he don't get out of the car. He just has some to stamp it for him. Did we mention he isn't an Aston Martin too? Maybe we did. Yeah, I was gonna say I thought it was, but I, I didn't remember from the other night. I just love Dean Martin really trying as hard as he can to get yeah. Adrian Barbeau's pants. Now, keep in mind, we've seen about three or four different, I'd say, mini scenes going on, you know, since last time we saw him trying to get Adrian Barbeau's pants, and we just, you know, ten minutes later, we cut back to it. That's what I mean. The, the editing of this film is crazy. I actually like that he was trying to get, like, a threesome going, and I right. like that when they turn him down, he goes out of frame and then comes back and just says, what about just one of you? <laughs> That's pretty good joke. Now, there was the motorcycle guy, and his thing is he got his friend to dress up like a woman. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to get out all their speeding tickets by pretending to be a married couple. But, like, just because you just got married doesn't mean, like, what are you in a rush for? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, here's Dean and Sammy in, like, some really bizarre comedy, like, you know... Sammy's getting manhandled and picked up like a child and whatever. Like, I don't think any, I don't think Kevin Hart, even though he always makes fun of himself for being shot, I don't think he lets you pick him up. I'm just watching how slow, like, Dean Martin is getting into his car. And I'm like, this is not, this is not acting. This is like a man having a problem. (laughs) He's ready to eat shit. (laughs) Here we go, the women. They almost pulled out too. And now they're running to get the time card and stamp it. Man. It's funny because I, I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't watched this in like 20 years. But man, this is one of those movies where I just watched it so much as a kid. When I watched it the other night, it just all came back. Right. Like, I remember, like everything. Like every bit is like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And the only things I didn't remember were things that I obviously now in my head are like, oh, it's Cannonball Run 2, you know? Yeah, I remember, especially a lot of the Jackie Chan shit for some reason. Well, I remember in part two, his his partner is actually Richard Keel. Yeah, that's right. And they're like, they team them up. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't, what kind of car do they, are they still have one of like the tiny cars are they crammed in there together yeah I think that's the joke it's still yeah. like the technology car but it's crammed, but like heels like really crammed into it and another one is one of those trademark Jackie Span- Jackie Chan spots in part two where like he like runs and jumps through the window of the car mm-hmm. oh Jackie Lim talk about there's a face for you yeah Jackie Lim yeah uh, and, and, you know, like, I was looking at the cast, and, like, I didn't really know Jackie Lamb's uh, name or whatever, but I recognized him right away. Like, he, he, he reminds well, me Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah, he reminds me of, like, a human Muppet in this movie. Mm-hmm. Play, so we should say he's the doctor that they've recruited to be their doctor, yeah. and his name is Nicholas Van Helsing. Not, not the subtle joke or anything, but yeah. just a super crazy doctor. Um I don't know, just like every other character in this just seems drunk throughout the entire thing. And this is obviously before the AIDS epidemic, because this doctor, he uses, like, the same dirty needle on everybody. 
Look at Bert rolling his eyes and all this shit, man. You ain't never gonna get a star like this in a movie ever again. I mean, look what, look how much Bert does with just a look or two. And people, like, they were falling all over themselves to get through the box office turnstiles. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I said, like like the the uh, Burt Reynolds Dom DeLuise chemistry is so bizarre because it's like they're supposed to be friends, but it's just Burt Reynolds hates his guts, and, like, treats him like shit the entire time, and and like Dom DeLuise, he cuts like such a bizarre like figure in this movie because it's like sometimes he's like he's really childlike, sometimes he's like. You know, he seems like a man's man. You know, he seems like he could be Bert's friend. And sometimes, and like, and obviously the comedy part is he goes completely crazy with his multiple personalities or whatever. But like, yeah, like, I don't, and a lot of humor that he does in this movie is not really like movie type of humor. It's like stuff that like your friend would do at a party. (laughs) You know what I mean? What do you think was going on with the Bert and the little like c- cigar Rillos or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> what like are they? Like, yeah, I don't. Are they even lit? I can never tell. They, they never look actually... lit. You never see any smoke coming off of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, like when they take puffs, they just kind of put it in their you know mouth. Here we have the bad guy. He crashed already. So Farrah needs a ride because you know, ain't no use in using this you know, old guy for a ride anymore. So, of course, you know, Bert does some smooth talking. And, uh... And this is where the movie starts getting, as they would call it today, problematic. Yeah. Uh, so they flat-out kidnap yeah. Farrah Fawcett, and they and, will drug her later, and, uh... And, and, and again, like, here on the movie Graveyard, we like to retreat to simpler times when everything wasn't as, you know, dark and ugly and all that. Um... But, uh, you know, in the current climate, I couldn't think, you know, I couldn't help but notice, really, like, what they did to Fairfoxit in this yeah. movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, well, I, I know this just wouldn't be acceptable in this day and age, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But probably nor either with the fact that every time from the now on out, when uh, Jackie Chan comes on screen, they play the music. So. <laughs> which is uh boy that was uh quite a shock to and again i feel like you know i was thinking too uh i think i've talked on this show before but uh and go i think you know this but jackie chan is actually my favorite movie star of all time really um, I, I which is not to say favorite actor of all time but yeah. i just like i just love him as a as a movie personality i'm a huge fan of all his hong kong stuff um Larger got real yeah, I got really into him during the '90s and was collecting like bootlegs and stuff before. Right then, then finally, he kind of got a little easier to get the stuff over here. But uh, this must have been the first thing I saw him as a kid. I mean, oh, clearly, yeah. Because this is even before like Police Story and all that shit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, later on, there's the way this film ends inspired him to do something in all of his films, which we'll talk about later. Interesting. Yeah, and, and here we have the, you know, the Asian fellow. I'm just going to call them the Asian fellows because I don't feel right calling them the Chinese guys because they're supposed to be Japanese movies and I, in the movie, and I don't feel right calling them Japanese in the movie because they're obviously not. But, like, their gimmick is they turn off their headlights and they have, like, they're basically just, like, 
kids' toys, these red goggles that they put mm-hmm. on, like, little light bulbs in them. And supposedly that makes them see in the dark. Already Adrian Barbeau's Lamborghini's getting pulled over. And here they have the first of 18 scenes where she flashes her clue. And I, you know, I was thinking about this. And I was just like, would you really... Or may or was like was there a time I should say when police would really fall for this? Because like police, like they got those ticket quotas, man. You know what I mean? There was a bit of a continuity error there too, where their shirts were zipped down and then yeah, they were zipped back up. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think Halloween cares about that kind of no. continuities. <laughs> also, I do know that this uh, this cop happens to be Burt Reynolds' stand-in, which is why it looks oh, so much wow. like him. Yeah, it, it almost looks like it could be his son. So when you see those faraway sh- shots of Hooper or whatever, you know, you know it's this guy. Yeah, no, I've always, you know, I always said the thing like a, a woman can get out of a speeding ticket by crying or whatever. But yeah, I don't know, like just just showing cleavage. I mean, like I hate to say it, especially in this you know era we're currently suffering through right now as movie fans, but. I think you'd have to do a little more than just that yeah. if you really wanted to get out of a ticket. You know, and here's Farrah Fawcett. She's really, like, sad because she, she talks about she's being kidnapped, like, legit. Mm-hmm. And Bert's just and like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, he says you can call it a kidnapping if you want to be rude. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know how that could play right, you know, this day and age. Don't worry, it's about to get better because now coming up is when they actually drug her. <laughs> yeah, like legit. Because they're, they're getting pulled over. This is where they're going to find out for the first time, you know, whether their whole cunning ruse of being ambulance drivers is going to work or not. And the doctor, he wants to stick her with that dirty-ass needle he's holding mm. all night long. Man, this is this could really go in a whole other direction with this creepy doctor and Bert. <laughs> like, like the the Van Helsing character, he almost reminds me of, like he's almost like with his mannerisms and crazy over the top shit. Like he's almost even too crazy for this movie. He, he needs to belong in like Rocky Horror Picture Show or something. Yeah. JJ, that's a perfect name for Bert in a movie too. Such a mm-hmm. smarmy. <laughs> it's really not something you should be calling a fifty-two-year-old man either. Now, where you at on the rest of the, like the uh, the Hal Needham Bert Reynolds uh, collaborations? You a bit Smokey the Bandit fan, or I am, but I don't know. Like, there's something about it. it I don't know. Let me let me look up. All the they shit did, they, they did together. So they did. Well, they started with Smokey the Bandit, moved on to, I believe, Smokey the Bandit 2 was before this. And then I think Hooper was before this also. And I think the only one that followed this, well, Cannibal Run 2, obviously, but then I think they ended with Stroker Ace. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, just, I guess it's just my age or whatever. So I wasn't really going and. Um, Oh, holy shit, Hal Needham directed Megaforce, too. That was a Oh, movie. yeah, the great I, Megaforce. Yeah, yeah, I always wanted to see because of comic book advertisements. I get, you know, it's really hard to say. Like it, before, we, before we sat down to watch this the other day, I, I was definitely more Smokey and the Bandit kind of guy. 
But after seeing this, I think I'm a little more nowadays on the Cannonball Run. Because when I was a kid, I always had this perception, and I don't know if you had this too, but did you ever think Cannonball Run was like a cheap imitation of Smokey and the Bandit? Because that's what I always thought as a kid. No, not really. I don't even know if I, as a kid, I'm not even sure if I kind of clocked they were made by the same person. Well, I definitely didn't know they were the same person. I'm just thinking of like the Burt connection, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, but I need to go back and watch Hooper and all them things because I don't really remember those at all. Like I was more of an elderly Burt fan. I was like, like no kidding. I think the whole time growing up, I think my favorite Burt thing was Cop and a Half, like legit. Yeah, now they explain to the cops they got to get to California in seventy-two hours because this lady's sick, and the cops actually do ask them you know a lot of questions but this is like the one time where they do use some ingenuity and they come up with reasons about the disease she has and all that she can't fly like the pressure like you know make some her aneurysm explode or whatever it yeah is. yeah the doctor actually comes up with a good excuse yeah he's like worthless like 99 percent of the time but under pressure he came through Like as a kid, like I, I do think as a kid, I was just taken by a movie like this that had so many fun characters, and and it's interesting because I, I think this is like kind of a format that would still work, right? Like if you could do a modern Cannonball Run with the, just like all the big like comedic stars of the day or something, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard this go, but I remember reading an interview or watching an interview with CM Punk where he's talking about you know how it, um, you know his final months in WWE and how miserable he was. And he was just kind of giving examples of like how bad the company was, how they wouldn't listen to his ideas. And he said as an, as an example, you know, because WWE has their own film division and they would make movies like The Marine and yeah. 12 Rounds just to stick the wrestlers in. And they were trying to find a project for him. And, you know, they offered him a couple like generic action films. And he said he actually he said he pitched to them. He said, you know, what you guys should do is we should remake Cannonball Run with all the WWE wrestlers. That's actually a great idea. Yeah, and he, and he said like they didn't like that. And he's like, are you kidding me? How could they not see the potential of that idea? <laughs> I know. Because you have all the divas. Yeah. You have all the guy, the outlandish guys you could put in as different characters, you know? Well, I like this guy. I just always like the stuff. I love It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Yeah. Um, Movies like that. It, it's it's funny you said that because yeah, how you're talking about you were just taken back as a kid. Because as a kid, I was I was really in the movies where any reason people were like chasing around shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like bigger food. Like, did you ever see that movie? I watched a lot on cable as a kid. It was called Thank God It's Friday. No, I don't know that one. But do you? I know. Do you know Million Dollar Mystery? Yeah, I do. And I remember when it came out, and everybody was looking for that buried money and shit. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a movie I think we should maybe Million Dollar Mystery go down the rabbit hole with one time. Because I only saw parts of the movie on TV throughout the years. But I remember like as a kid, I was so excited about it. And then when the movie came out, just everybody savaged it. You know, like the build up of what they were going to do and all that. You know, mm-hmm. for people who don't know, it was a movie that was about people trying to find a buried bag of money. But they claimed that the... The producers claimed that the movie actually had clues to a real bag of money that was buried somewhere. That thing always fascinated me, the whole you know, mm-hmm. weird thing, that promotion, I guess it was. 
I think Midnight uh, Midnight Madness was another movie like that too. Yeah, Midnight Madness. And there was one too. Was Midnight Madness the one with Michael J. Fox or no? It was, yeah, and Eddie yeah. Deason. Yeah. Oh yeah, Eddie Deason. Yeah, I was a huge. I watched that one a lot. Let me look up. Thank God it's Friday, because maybe I'm getting that. Okay. Yeah, Thank God It's Friday, 1978, Trev. Check this out. The summary is, it's Friday and everyone is going to the hot new disco. The Commodores are scheduled to play if Floyd shows up with the instruments and Nicole dreams of being a disco star. Other characters are there to win a dance contest or to put a little excitement into the fifth anniversary. So yeah, that was like a movie. It's like, um, who's in it? Donna Summers in it. And Jeff Goldblum. But yeah. Um, what was the one with Michael J. Fox? Madness? Midnight Madness. Midnight Madness, yeah. And what, I can't remember. Was Midnight Madness a real movie or was it a TV movie? I think it was a real movie. Can we get it? Can we just discuss this moment right here, though? Oh, because yeah. um, so we've talked about a lot of the like, bizarre, problematic stuff in here. And uh, so we have uh, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. as the priests trying to get Dom DeLuise and Burr Reynolds as the paramedics to pull over. And Burr Reynolds looks at the car. And this is very bizarre. <laughs> Burr Reynolds <laughs> says to Dom DeLuise, he says, uh, one of the priests is black. And Dom Dilly is just like, oh, yeah, they have black priests. And Burns is like shocked by that. And I was like, what? Like, for, but but he's like, not even saying it like in a racist way. He just like his reality in his mind. Yeah, he's like legit surprised that there are black priests. Yeah, because the priest kept saying, pull over. We want to bless you. And Bert, like, he just, he can't believe this nonsense. And it's obviously, they're going to, you know, there's something tricky that's going to happen here. And it's that they sabotage their wheel. But actually, you know, as drunk as they are and whatever, I thought this was, this scene was actually Dean Martin's kind of highlight of the movie. Yeah. Well, he seems, he actually seems less drunk here. Yeah, he they must a little have shot early. this in the morning. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, it's hard to tell, but it's like Sammy's uh, pushing in, like, I don't know what it is, some kind of pin into, to relieve the air out of the thing. So, okay, here's another, <laughs> I hate to keep bringing this up, but here's another 2017 moment of Hollywood scandal. Is like, it's obvious what's on Dean Martin's mind when he pulls oh, yeah. that open and he sees Farrell drugged out. Like he's jumping in, and then he sees Van Helsing. And Van Helsing is really nasty, kind of crude joke. Is he keeps smelling his finger because he says he likes to give proctology exams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always thought this was weird, like this scene right here, like where they shot it. Like it just looked like they just went on a back street somewhere. So now Sammy, you know, says, "Take that piece of shit to the junkyard." Obviously, the ruse is up. They weren't real priests. But, like, Dom DeLuise never caught on. He just, hey, we got a flat tire. Oh, damn. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It just slaps that shit up. And it goes into slow-mo for, like, a split second there. I, I think it's because they actually cut too soon. And then they're yeah. like, oh, shit. But we want to, you know, show the shock and horror on Dom's face. Because it, it probably wasn't planned that he's going to smack the shit out of him, don't you think? And then probably they started cracking up or something. Well, I feel like probably in their real relationship, Burns probably just smacked the shit out of Dom Dewey oh, yeah. all the time. All the time. 
Here, here's Roger Moore with another woman and his Aston Martin. And keeps warning them not to, you know, don't use the car lighter because that's going to, you know, make mm-hmm. some shit happen. Because we all know one of the things. few things that does pay off. In yeah, the movie. <laughs> one of the few things that Hal Needham drunkenly didn't forget. <laughs> I have to say, I was kind of surprised when I watched this the other night for this being 1981. Like Roger Moore was a little bit long in the tooth already. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I always forget how old like Roger Moore like really was, because he was the James Bond that was the James Bond when I was like a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, with the geography, now they pull off into like a Seven Eleven, and it's like all of a sudden it seems like they're in like rural Georgia or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like every time they stop, it's like a completely different state. Well, it's a cross country race, but yeah, we don't. They the movie doesn't really sell you at all on like the t- passage of time or, or how far they well, we just saw him past the st louis arch so i guess they're trying to give us like a little bit of geography but yeah no i have no clue i i, I couldn't I didn't get this on wikipedia or anything but do you think this was like a legit like we paid money 7-eleven time because i mean i've seen 7-elevens i've seen i guess 7-elevens were much more ubiquitous across the country back then before a lot of them went out of business or whatever but I, I was, uh, I've never really seen one like that. Was, and I've seen one that had gas pumps, but I've never seen one that was like a huge parking lot like this. This is the biggest 7-Eleven I've ever seen. I somehow doubt it was actually like a real tie-in. Just think uh, 7-Elevens were all around at the time. Right. Because they don't go out of their way to show the sign, but it's pretty mm-hmm. obvious where they're at. Although they do like, they, they go out of their way to sell this like big gulp here. Yeah, no. And this is what I mean about, like, Donald Louise. He starts singing the Dr. Pepper song, and that's what I mean. Just, like, shit like that. It's not really movie humor. It's just more like what a friend would do with a, you know. Now, I hear Bert uh, starts to, because he sees the, the, the drunk priest pull into the 7-Eleven to get gas as well. And then, um, you know, he tips him off to uh, the policeman here that's on the corner. Mm-hmm. That these, you know, the fathers have committed a crime and all this. By uh, the way, what were the what were the fathers doing? Because they gave them a flat tire and they still beat them to that gas station. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they must have, they must have stopped at a bar to refill their their cups. Because you never see them like pouring shit out of a bottle. They just always have glasses full of shit. And say every time they stop, I guess Sammy has to uh, call. Um, Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's only in this for like to bet on it, right? We right. didn't mention that, but yeah. Now, was Jimmy the Greek the guy who got in trouble for making like racist comments about athletes? Uh, I mean, that certainly wouldn't surprise me. I think he was. Let's see. Oh, yeah. On Wikipedia, racial comments and dismissal, January 16th, 1988. I don't think I need to repeat what Jimmy the Greek said. <laughs> like, I, it, what he said was more out of ignorance, I would believe. And it was probably like a weird ideology that had been floating around for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. He didn't just call somebody like a racist name or nothing. He, he, came, up with a, he came up with a really kind of just insulting... Maybe not intentionally, but he came up with an insulting uh, theory about why black people in general are better athletes, and it just 
talk about, you know, tone deaf. You know what I mean? It just wasn't what anybody yeah. wanted to hear. I really, it really seems like the cop is about to shoot Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. here. And, you know, whenever they do, like, the Rat Pack bio, biography movies and stuff, I kind of never feel like anybody can really nail Sammy Davis Jr. quite right. He just had a physicality to himself. And also, he's so diminutive. Now, here, Dom DeLuise breaks out, like, one of those weird electric shavers that were always around in the 70s and early 80s. Have you ever been a user of an electric shaver? <laughs> well, not one like not one like that. Like yeah. I I mean I, I definitely I mean I use a razor for, yeah. to trim my beard, but not like that. No. Yeah. And the, the you know what's funny is like electric razors seem like they were popular back then, but they're not really popular now, and I wonder why. I just I would always have the theory that they probably didn't really work, but I could be completely wrong. Well, I think beards are just back in fashion in a big way right now too. So there was another quick shot there that looked like it was slowed down for no particular reason. And and here we have the the bad guy of the the movie. What was his name, Mister Foy? He's like, like he's like commandeering like local police to put up roadblocks, and he's like involved in the shit. Like I didn't find that really to be believable. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really understand like what his power like is. His authority is. But I also thought it was weird, too, that, like, this is a cross-country race. And keep in mind, this is, like, before the days of GPS and all that kind of bullshit. But, like, every cannonball racer pretty much was taking the same route and, mm-hmm. like, would get stopped at the same, like, like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's why I thought, like I said, like, that's why it's a bummer that they don't keep cutting back to that truck just, like, plowing through, like, a different path, you know? Right. Because it would be funny if they just completely keep cutting back to those guys going through forest after forest. <laughs> hitting like fake deers and shit oh here comes Bert he took off his windbreaker yeah I guess we should explain that in order to get past the roadblock they actually had a uh, like a guy who's driving a giant like flatbed type truck they put the ambulance on the back of the bed and then they covered it with a giant tarp so now like I got the feeling that like everybody's hiding inside. You know, they're still in the in the medical van or whatever, but this tarp is over it, and it's a hot day, and obviously they can't have the 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 car running with AC. I got this point that like everybody was stripping down because they were so sweaty. Is that what you got out of this, or did you just yeah. think Bert was trying no, to I'd disrobe? T- no, that's how I take it too. And we should talk about the, the conversation they're having because yeah. it's this is where she started to come around to him, but in a very weird way because she says like, you know, you kidnapped me, and he says, well, who could blame anyone for kidnapping you? And right. she's like, well, you gave me laughing gas. And he says, yeah, but you have a really nice laugh. And she's, like, just so charmed by it all. Yeah. And then out of the blue, and this really took me back, you know, for this being a 1981 movie or whatever, she she, she asked him, like, what do you have playing a gangbang or something? Yeah. <laughs> and Bert says, no, we're racers, not rapists. <laughs> he kind of could have fooled me, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, you know, this scene is lit very dramatically. You know, the light's coming by. He's kind of hurt, hitting Bert's uh, face in a dramatic way here. I, 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 like, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of find Bert creepy, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't think you're wrong. Because it's like, 
you know, not, not that I'm not trying to shit on Burt Reynolds or his acting ability or whatever, but he kind of has a certain persona and a certain look about him, and whatnot. And when he kind of tries to play this like affable, lovable loser guy, it kind of comes off still with a bit of like intensity to it that makes you like, you know, like gives you kind of the creep. You know, that's the thing. I don't think he can play affable. I think Burns always has this like kind of like self-confident, like, you know, just a I don't know. He's just always cocky and, you know, full of himself. Yeah. Here's the hillbilly guys. Well, I know there's like eight groups of hillbilly guys, but the Terry Bradshaw melts this one. And like they got, they just like are swimming in beer. <laughs> like they're so drunk, and like the cops really aren't like rushing to arrest them for intoxication or nothing. And Dom DeLuise, he's under there, like trying to fix that. They kept they're talking about the transmission was starting to slip, so he's doing some repair underneath there too. I just thought of a genius scheme, Trev. Tell me what you think was. Wouldn't it be a great way to win the cannonball is if you left the starting line and like a make and model of a car, but you just went to the airport and flew and then you had like an exact duplicate car like at the like finish line and you could just go and punch the ticket. Uh, I mean, yeah, because <laughs> there's, there's, no, be... there's no like midway check in, you know, Mm-hmm. Now, that was an insane stunt there where the bad guy accidentally let the van hillbilly's van just... It careened off to a... and hit a cop car that was, like, precariously right next to, like, a cliff. But that was a pretty badass explosion, man. That was a lot of fire and heat. You could tell people... Like, you could see a couple extras on the side, like, ducking for cover and shit. Well, you knew that was an 80s movie car because it just... The, the minute it got hit, it exploded. Exploded, like, yeah. You know, <laughs> I always wonder how hard it would be for a car to explode. Because in movies, cars flip over, people wreck them, and then they... they and obviously, I, I understand shit happens. You know, gas tanks get punctured, and then it's a really dangerous situation. But um, I just always wonder, like, how common it would be for a car to either catch fire or blow up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll never understand the movies where a car slowly... I saw, I saw I can't remember what movie I was watching the other night, but a car slowly caught fire, and they had to get out of there. Oh, it was American Graffiti was on TV. And, like, that always struck me weird is when the car slowly catches fire and the people, like, they get out, but they're not in much of a hurry. Like, I don't know how a car can slowly burn. It seems like it would either blow up or something. Okay, now, th- here, here, finally we cut back to the Sheik. And, and this is some more, uh, I don't know what you would call this, Harvey Weinstein type rumor. Um, he called in order to, like, this, like, place for lamb burgers. But then, like, we just get a shot down a girl's dress for, like, not a dress, but her top for no reason. Of course, she has, like, monster cleavage. And then, like, he wants to pay for the, the, the food with, like, um, like a fancy ring. But then he just comes back to give her a wad of money anyway. Like, what do you think about this? I mean, did you like this? or No, of course, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he also asks her if she wants to join his harem. Right, and, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, and like I said, he's ordering, like, lamb kebabs and, like, couscous and stuff. And... And he tells her to get a physical, he's going to come back for it and all this. Just, you know. Now this, I feel like this is the part of the movie, you know, Fair is kind of like, I'd say she's like the nice person of the group. So she's going to bring out all the, you know, she brought out Bert 
you know, she brought out the tender side of Bert. Now she's, you know, she's like the only person that's really going to dig deep and find out what um, Dom DeLuise is all about, you know? Yeah, his serious mental problems. <laughs> that the movie treats <laughs> like a joke. Pretty much. Because, I mean, he tells like this tender story of, like he didn't have any friends when he was young and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Until he met JJ, the guy who slaps him all the time. He says, I was in a schoolyard and nine guys were beating me up. And there he was, Captain Chaos. Because <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, was Captain Chaos a parody of, like, a, you know, like. Yeah. Was, that, like, was there some superhero thing that was on everybody's minds at the time? Or, I don't know. It's, just, it's bizarre. Like, yeah. I feel like superhero shit was like really generic back then. The only thing I think, the only thing that was popular in cinema that I knew over the time was the Superman films, right? Yeah, because I was thinking if this came out today, this would like make more sense, right, right? To be poking fun at this idea, but yeah, it's just really weird. I guess the superhero shit has always been at least in the background of the culture, you know. I kind of wonder. It might be worth looking into. I wouldn't like. I wonder if Captain Chaos was like a, a riff or a character that Dom Deluise already did before this movie. Yeah. You know, they just found a way to like put it in. I should have looked that up because yeah, because it's pretty famous just for this movie. <laughs> now these guys, the uh, the Asian fellows, their technology tells them they're going into New Mexico, but then they pass a El Paso. Uh, thing so so they they realize they're in this completely the wrong state. Apparently, Japanese technology is not the best. <laughs> yeah, I guess Golden Harvest didn't have a problem making that joke. No, <laughs> you know I was thinking of that too. Did they make them Japanese just as a way to make fun of Japanese people? Because China and Japan is you know had a long you know I don't know what you call it feud or. Now here is is where the women who unzip their uh, suits to get up, get out of the you know the tickets this really pays off and it, I have to say I thought this would this actually was a pretty fun payoff because they finally get pulled over and it turns out it's a woman police officer mm-hmm. who just wants to see their driver's license obviously doesn't you know care about their breasts. Which I thought was a good joke, but then then you realize that the female police officers also showing massive cleavage as well. Oh, of course. So yeah, to me that kind of like cheapened the joke. You know what I mean? But I don't know. <laughs> you just look. You just don't get how neat them, obviously. <laughs> Apparently not. You know, like out of all the like whatever, you know things you could do in recent years in the wake of the Fast and the Furious all the bullshit. I'm kind of surprised somebody hasn't remade either this or Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. Because the name rec- these are older films, but they're, they're, I mean, I think just about anybody, even young kids who haven't necessarily seen the films. This is a good stunt. It really here. is. I think the yeah. name recognition is still there. So Roger Moore in true Bond fashion uses oil slick because there's a cop behind him. And then, like, that, that that car did, like, about 10 360s going off. Yeah, that road. spin was crazy. Yeah. That was better than the spins in the real James Bond. <laughs> uh, no, I agree. I, I Like I said, I feel like this is, like, due for, like, like a, some kind of revisit or 
Smoking the Bandit, I wonder, I mean, did you know there's like 10 Smoking the Bandit movies? Because they eventually went into doing like a bunch of a string of like TV ones. I remember that. Yeah, I actually remember when the TV ones were coming out, just seeing because I, cause I didn't have cable during high school or whatever. So mm-hmm. like, I remember when I was in middle school and cable, I watched a lot of, you know, the whatever three networks. And I yeah, I remember like. I remember when the first one came on, I was like, oh, that's weird. But it, it clearly was something where they shot a bunch back to back because, like, they were putting them on TV, like, every six months, it felt like, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think of the choice of Jackie Chan watching Behind the Green Door starring Marilyn <laughs> Chambers while he's driving? Yeah, I don't know. Again, if, if it, they're just trying to poke fun at, like, oh, ha, ha, they're Japanese and they're, like, perverts, I guess yeah. that's what they're going for. But, yeah, so he's watching a porn in the TV that's in the car's console and... I don't know. I guess it made like it was fun to remember that this would have still been a time when everyone knew what behind the green door was. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I only knew behind the green door because, um, like, I've heard a deep throat, like, legitimately, but I only knew about behind the green door because of that, like, Mitchell Brothers movie that the Sheen and Estevez made. Yeah, I knew about it because uh, it was in Danny Perry's cult movies book. So that's yeah, so that's how I first heard about it. But I think that maybe that was actually the first one, and not Deep Throat, but I think that was the first one that had, like, mainstream people going to... It was, yeah, that was, the Behind the Great Door was, like, that that came before Deep Throat. It was, like, a big kind of mainstream hit. It it, it all of a sudden became a thing for, like, mainstream, like, people just to go watch as a movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, not, like, like with their wives or whatever. Yeah, you had, like, legit people on dates and, like, fancy clothes going to see that. <laughs> Fancy clothes to sit down and seats covered in cum. <laughs> I mean, like I've I've never like well, I guess technically I lived in L.A. and I'm sure there was some there, but like I just oh man, you couldn't pay me enough money probably to go and sit down in like a fucking porno theater. Yeah. Now here again, here it's like a bit clearly just to set up a, a stunt. Yeah, but uh. Or finally back with the guys in the truck and yeah, because like there's a train crossing and they're like oh shit that you know they gotta stop because the train's crossing but they their brakes aren't working so there's conveniently a like literally just a ramp there that they mm-hmm. can jump over the train with. It's pretty good stuff though, but they just go on talking like nothing really happened. Yeah, they seem that like their brakes still don't work right. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like that should. <laughs> No, I I found this scary to watch with the the motorcycle guy was popping that wheelie mm-hmm. and like he was rearing back so much that the guy on the back was like almost touching the ground like that was like I saw that and was like oh shit like I think if they made this movie now even with CGI and all that if they made this movie now I th- I, I hate to say it, but I think somebody a stunt person would probably be either like very seriously injured or, or probably uh mortally wounded i i think i read that a stunt person was really was hurt pretty bad on this movie oh, I could um, imagine. Like, do you think that's weird trev though that like in this day and age of cgi trickery like people still actually pass away making well movies and tv shows because it happened on walking dead as well mm-hmm well, the Walking Dead one is really just a weird kind of fluke thing, right? Like falling off a platform or something. Yeah, but, I think so. I mean, yeah, it's 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 super unfortunate, but I mean, it's like if we want, I'm still, I'm like you, I'm still an advocate for real stunt work too, right. you know. And it's just the risk that comes with it, I guess. 
Um, that's why I give those people like all the credit in the world. And I think it's really shitty that they don't have an Oscar for them. And, uh, I just, I I, I find stunt people fascinating. I just, I, I, and it really sucks too. Cause the, um, uh, usually, I mean, all the reasons are avoidable. Here we get the guys, their car actually (laughs) flies kind of. Yeah. Cause they have like a jet that like shoots them up in there. But yeah, like I know the Resident Evil one that happened on the last Resident Evil. That was that was actually not the stunt person's fault. It was because yeah. there was camera crane that didn't move out of the way. And that one's awful. That's an awful story. And then unfortunately, the Deadpool two one, where the woman actually did the Resident Evil one, the person was insanely hurt, but they they're mm-hmm. they're alive now. I'll put it that way. Just they had really bad injuries. But the Deadpool one was seemed like it was more because they. We're trying to get somebody who wasn't experienced in that type of motorcycle riding, I guess. I, I like the, you know all the mania, pandemonium. This was another charming movie that I like, where the the priest and Bert and Dom kind of meet up again face to face. I kind of like this moment quite a bit. Although, although it does get mean when they when they call Dom DeLuise a Goodyear blimp. Yeah, well, and they call Sammy Davis Jr. the Chocolate Monk. Which, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I that made what? me cringe. That made me cringe so much when I watched it. And I remembered that that was kind of you know Sammy Davis Jr. is kind of a sad figure in that. Yeah. That's kind of his whole relationship with the Rat Pack was them always kind of treating him like that, you know. Like like and he him, was like lesser than. Yeah, and him just kind of having to grin and take it because he got to hang out with them, you know. Right. Um, really quickly, can I let me just read this. Um, in June 1980, 24-year-old stuntwoman Heidi Von Belts was critically injured in a car crash during production of this film. She was a world-class skier with no previous stunt driving experience. The original stunt person scheduled performance stunt had an emergency family illness and left the production. Uh, so the stunt coordinator and her fiancé called her to the set for a stunt that he described to be a piece of cake in which she would operate a smoke machine from the passenger seat. Von Peltz did the stunt because the production was running seriously behind schedule. Her car was struck by a van that made the wrong move, and she was not wearing restraints because seatbelts had been removed from her vehicle prior to the accident. The proper safety parts had not been delivered to the set. Uh, Because of the schedule demands filming resumed with the car not in safe condition, she survived but was left a quadriplegic. Oh. Yeah. That's brutal. I was assuming that was the one with Roger Moore when the smoke was filling up. Yeah, uh, I suppose, yeah. Wow. I wonder if they had to, obviously they would have had to reshoot that. So I wouldn't think she was, I don't know. That's, that's rough. Mm -hmm. That's really rough. Especially if it's uh, somebody who's, uh, you know, not familiar or not trained or whatever. Now here, here we have uh, Peter Fonda showing up as a, a leader of an evil biker gang. It's pretty fun to see him. That guy next to him, too, the bald guy, is like one of those guys that was, you know, again, just a super recognizable face if you watch enough movies at this time. Yeah. But obviously, Peter Fonda, like, obviously, you know, they're riffing on Easy Rider here with him right. being the, the leader of this, this biker gang. It's a nice cameo. But I, th- I found it bizarre, though, because, you know, his character in Easy Rider, Captain America, was like a good guy. He was someone mm-hmm. who detested him, and then they cast him as an evil biker just because. Well, I think that's what makes it fun, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Because he's almost wearing the same type of jacket, if I recall correctly, as he did in Easy Rider. You know, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So. <laughs> the 
That's right. Just ask Kathleen Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) Or Zack Snyder, apparently. Now, here we have, because the bikers are causing trouble with one of the cannonballers, Captain Chaos comes out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And this is definitely the part I remember the most as a kid. Right. I think that I think the part I loved the most as a kid is just seeing all the cannonballers take on this biker gang. And you know, every Hal Nita movie has a sequence like this—just right. a big, crazy brawl. Um, I know in Hooper, there's like a huge bar fight like this, and um, we finally get to see Jackie Chan do some Jackie Chan yeah. stuff. Some really cool Jackie Chan stuff. And here we go, like again, Roger Moore Roger totally Moore. taking the piss out of himself. Yeah. It turns out Roger Moore is a, well, not Roger Moore, but Seymour or whatever, has mm-hmm. a glass jaw. I was really surprised because of their age that Dean and Sammy were like, you know, going to fight in this. Well, Sammy doesn't. Yeah, Sammy, <laughs> Sammy, go, Sammy again takes this opportunity to go, oh, that looks like. Oh, a, God. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Harvey Weinstein type situation. Yeah, right there. We're, there was definitely an uh, attempted gang rape happening there. But, uh. And I don't, I don't mean to make light of those types of things, but it's just. Wow, it's like it's like what's going well, on like, right now in the world. It's like, I, I, and I'll be the first to say when all this kind of very started with Harry Knowles, I was very naive and skeptical, which I shouldn't have been. But all this stuff, man, it's really opened up my eyes, and it's it's hard to see stuff, in the, you know, not in a different way now. It's, it's just weird. Yeah, well, I think you know, like I said, it's it's, it's obviously it's not funny, but there's a. Mm-hmm. I think what makes us laugh is seeing. You almost have to laugh that people thought it was okay to have it a comedy back right. then. You know, like that's just like so, like oh, who cares? You know, there was they were so like numb to it. Now this guy getting beat up over the head by the Rick Avalos. If I if if I recognize the guy, I think that's Alan Graff, who he always played a stunt guy. Oh, well, he didn't play a stunt guy. He was a stunt guy who would always get beat up. Like he's one of the guys that gets beat up by Van Damme and the diner scene of uh universal soldier but so i always knew him and uh i went i went to a casting call where he was spearheading one time pretty really the only real hollywood production i ever tried to get in but he's also a football coordinator which i found a really oddly bizarre and he's done football coordinating for a lot of movies and he did it for gridiron gang and that was the movie i like i showed up for to try to get into and then like I mean, at the time, I was probably really like six foot, 170. I mean, I was pretty skinny. But, it, you know, I thought, well, I can pass for a high school, you know, whatever. They, like, they were bringing in, like, all these guys. And there was just, like, a bunch of jokesters and stuff that showed up, too. But they were bringing in these, like, ex-borderline NFL guys. And, like, we like we went to this, uh, like, ballroom. And, like, they pretty much sorted us, sorted us all out, like, pretty quick and get, gave us the lowdown. But, like, like literally for this fucking high school football movie, they were getting all these guys who had played either Division, like, one college football or were, like, pretty much, like, had just recently washed out of the NFL. So, like, next time you see, like, a movie that has, like, high school sports... Whatever sport it is, you're probably seeing like pros fucking play the movie. You know what I mean? Which I mean, it makes sense, you know. But every time I see that guy, like I'm always reminded of that experience. Here he is again, getting beat up by Jackie Chan. Well, this this scene is definitely the scene that was designed to like, hey, hey America, here's Jackie Chan. Right. right. He gets his own spotlight moment here. It's pretty. And this good. is fun. And it's really good. Yeah. And then um, 
I mean, you could just like I, you forget how amazing he was when he was young, right? How fast he was, and and then there's the, the, the Jackie Chan ending to the fight too, him ripping his pants. And, yeah, and just but, his pants. Um, if anyone here's an interesting trivia question for people, or not trivia, like question, but a uh, factoid for you. If anyone ever asks if uh, if there was ever a Peter Fonda Jackie Chan fight, yes, there was in Cannonball Run. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to actually see them two fight again right now. <laughs> This is both. That's the, the their final film should be them versus each other as a tribute to Cannibal Run. Fonda versus bring it, Chain. <laughs> bring it full circle. <laughs> Yuli's gold to Fonda versus Chan. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> now, here, here, what just happened? Why did Burt Reynolds fall like that? I don't even like because he was talking shit and Captain Chaos backhanded him. Oh, okay. I think he was like getting you know getting back for the earlier time. Now this is where Captain Chaos, besides being a superhero, he's also like a master driver because like all of a sudden he literally like it's like it's like all these other like even the exotic sports cars. It's like they're all standing still. This is the home stretch of the Cannonball Run, and he's just like blowing past them all. Saving the day. And I did like that, that, you know, they pretty much Captain Chaos has been a punchline for most of this movie. I did like that he actually did something, like, pretty impressive at the end. Mm -hmm. And as I was scrolling through the trivia on IMDb, I did confirm that the ambulance they're driving actually is the same souped-up ambulance that Held Needham actually drove in the real Cannonball Run. Yeah, when when I read, like, the factoid, it described it as being the same, like, make and model, but it didn't specify whether it was the exact same one. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. And this is where it really gets slapstickish the way everybody's like, just the shots of the cars all swerving. Mm. Can't really watch these Roger Moore scenes anymore with the <laughs> same sense of glee. <laughs> Sammy's so excited, screaming, the Greek is going to pay us money. <laughs> Another good joke, though, where the girl sitting next to Roger Moore thinks he's George Hamilton. Yeah, I know. That was good. Here comes the truck hillbilly guys bursting through everything. The, the, this is where, you know, you get the big pot. Well, a couple of them crash, but then most of them just stop. And like like you said, the everybody's like literally running and racing. Mm-hmm. To punch their card, but again, it's 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 not the first one who wins the race. And Bert just like pulls a dick move and tackles like everybody was kind of running in a pack, and he just tackled on top of everybody. And of course, Captain Chaos runs all the way to the finish line and wins the race, even though that really doesn't no, mean anything. He does not win the race, though. Oh well, he well he yeah he doesn't win the race, but he would have run the race. Yeah. But some lady's screaming that her baby's drowning because they're like next to a harbor. Mm-hmm. So technically, Adrian Barbeau wins the race. That's yeah, the, the the Lamborghini girls win the race. Yeah. But then I was thinking about it, like, so they punch their car, right? And then all these people are just standing there, like, oh man! But any if any of these people left before them and they went up now and punched their card again, they should actually win. Right. Or Bert could just pick his card up off the ground and probably win. Well, I think the girl did. I think the Lamborghini girls left before Bert and. Did they? I, I think so. I can't remember. It's been 90 minutes. What do you want? Well, no, that would make Bert the winner, though, right? Because he left later, but he got there at the same time. As oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah. This is such a crazy ending, too. Like, so the fact uh, you, this whole movie has been about the race, right? Right. 
and the two Lamborghini girls win it, and the movie doesn't even dwell on that. It's like it instantly moved past that, and instead now it's just all about this last little bit here with Burns and Dom DeLuise, and everyone's watching it. And just the way it ends is like so, like, this is just so 80s to me. I don't yeah, know. But before it ends on the happy mode, I gotta say, when Bert was ripping off Captain Chaos's costume and just the look on DeLuise's face, like, that shit, like, legit made me sad. I was like, Bert's such a dick. But then he pops back up. Now he's Captain USA, and Bert and but Bert loves it. Yeah, everybody loves. He loves it. it. He was just saying how sick of Captain Chaos he is, but now he loves Captain USA. Yeah. which and is all these much the same thing. <laughs> and all these strangers that have no idea what's happening, they love it too for some reason. Yeah. They're like so enamored by it. Everybody's like, plotting. "Oh God!" <laughs> just a, a portly gentleman in a very homemade superhero costume. And here, here they go. Another cheap joke. They give Mr. Foyer, like, uh, you know, a spy cigar that's supposedly obviously going to do something here. I love like, that another, like, uh, Roger Moore's outfits kept changing, too, even though there's no way he could have been changing his outfits. Exactly. It seems like Roger Moore is, like, hooked up with the biker woman, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I just noticed that. So here, here, you know, they're trying to get the payoff. Like, Roger Moore set up that guy to go press the car lighter in his car because that's supposed to be the ejector seat or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then he's surprised it's not working, so he climbs in and starts hitting it. And then Roger Moore actually gets injected into the harbor. And there's there's the real Roger Moore in the harbor. Okay, th- this is where more Dick Burt comes into play. Because now they have champagne, and it's at the end of the cannonball, even though it's really not. And Bert's pouring the champagne, but he keeps, like, he keeps taking mouthfuls of it and then just spitting it on the ground. Like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> like, for, he did it right in front of the camera before, and now he's doing it again. He's spitting it again right all over again. Like, what? Is that, like, a celebration tradition or something? Like, the spit, yeah, I don't know. spit shit on the ground? But again, we don't even see the winners, like the two no. women celebrating. Like it doesn't. It's like who cares? And by won. the way, we we don't really. Was it ever said what if they won anything at all? I I don't know. I think there's a cash prize, but okay. So here we have the infamous. I should say infamous, but the famous bloopers. And this yeah. is what I meant. So this is actually what inspired Jackie Chan to do this in his films moving forward. Is he loved this really? idea. Um, but this is, I don't know if you know about this, Goat. What I I always like laugh extra during this part because it reminds me. Um, there was an episode of The State. Where they actually recreated these bloopers shot for shot. Um, so, when it, like, uh, you know, the state from MTV, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, they ended one of their episodes with these bloopers where they played these, like, the Burt Reynolds and Dom Dolly's and just redid all these bloopers shot for shot. They didn't even make, they didn't put in new jokes. They just actually really? redid it exactly. That yeah. sounds actually kind of familiar. I have to, oh, look at, look at his Burt slapping the shit out of Dom. Yeah, he's just beating the shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the one I always remember from the state thing that always comes is, like, when, uh, Dean Martin accidentally calls uh, the rosary beads rosary bleeds. Mm. <laughs> Dean trying to get a slap on Sammy, too. But um, I have to say, the way we were saying Bert was like dickish Bert in this one. I I really think it was this movie that led to the dead-on impersonation of Norm MacDonald on SNL of Bert. Just oh, yeah. the chewing gum asshole kind of person. And I remember, yeah. I remember one of those, like, Jeopardy or whatever it was, where he was playing Burt. It was like, in real life, the real Burt was hot again after Boogie Nights. 
and uh, the fake Alex Trebek asked fake Burt what he was going to do next, and you know, after being nominated or whatever, all his critical claim of Boogie Nights, and he just said, I'm going to do another car picture with Dom DeLuise. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been awesome if Burt would have parlayed that Boogie Nights fame and actually doing another Cannonball run? That'd be great. Could still, is Dom DeLuise still alive? No, he sadly oh. he passed away a while oh. ago. Yeah. All right. But yeah, th- during that outtake, there was another one where Bert just like it was the scene where he was hitting on the girls in the um, hotel bar. He just took like a, a whatever little drink he had and he just laughed and poured it on the ground. Like I don't get Bert's sense of humor at all. Here they are cracking up with Doctor Van Helsing. Yeah, I can't, for, uh, I'm sure it's probably available on YouTube or somewhere, but uh, look up that Cannonball theme song. That was a pretty hip disco, yeah. <laughs> 1981 type, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised that they went with such a disco type, you know, hit for, or theme for, you know, a car picture. Oh my God, he's, be- he's slapping just- the shit out of Dom DeLuise. Yeah. Now, let's be honest. He's even telling me you're going to get slapped. Oh. Dom always fucked up and called himself Captain America. That was a blooper on that one. He's supposed to say Captain USA. But um, do you think Dom DeLuise was the only person Bert was slapping on this film set? Oh, I doubt it. Yeah, I bet he was slapping everybody. But he always gives them a hug right after, but then he slaps again. Like, I don't really well, no, I do. Th- I think they have like a. Re- I, I think in real life they have like this really weird like relationship, right? Where it's like, it's like that old Looney Tunes cartoon with that little dog and the big dog. You know, right. it's like that same kind of mentality. But, but yeah, so that's an insane movie. Very but, uh, insane. But a fun one. I don't. There was so much insane shit. I really don't even think we pointed a lot of it out. But I mean, it was <laughs> such a. You want to talk about a roller coaster ride of emotions and memories and just I, what I really liked about and I was glad you picked this. What I really liked about rediscovering this movie was this is like when you you weren't kidding when you said this was like the most eighties eighties movie because like you put this on and it's such a I don't know it's such a time capsule in a way of how silly movies could be. And mm-hmm. be wide released, you know, whatever movies, you know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the thinnest, uh, <laughs> flimsiest of, of, you know, plot devices and whatever to base a movie around. And, and somehow it pulls it off into becoming something like really memorable, you know. Even though you can tell by, you know, it's a road picture. You can tell there's pro- this movie was probably just made up of a lot of improv scenes and little scenes on the side of the road here and there and whatnot. But, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it's not, it doesn't really come together as being cohesive, but it, it, it actually works, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a good movie, but it's definitely a fun movie. And like, we always celebrate that. So that's sometimes just enough, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not a good movie, but it's actually great. That is, it exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it actually does make me really want to go back and revisit part two now, which is a good. It's just all the same jokes. <laughs> but. <laughs> so yeah, so that's it for the Cannonball Run. I had a great time, you know, rediscovering this, and uh, you know, ho- hopefully, uh, like I said, like I don't know why, uh, you know, the last couple years of this podcast, 
And I don't know why, like, like some, you know, I love the 80s thing. Like, it was my whole inspiration for kind of creating this podcast. But for some reason, I don't know why, like, I just, I kept getting pigeonholed in the horror thing. So I opened this up to other decades and whatnot. Hopefully we can keep the variety of the type of films we're talking about, you know, keep a little more variety. But yeah, so I think it was a good pick to, uh, you know, run with the Cannonball Run to uh, open up this new era of the podcast. I appreciate any last words about the cannonball run, Trev. Uh, everyone definitely needs to see it. Uh, really quick, do you, do you I, before we wrap up? Do you remember Speed Zone? Like, do you because you know Speed Zone's interesting. There's like no DVD or uh, or anything really? of it. Yeah, I think it like died at like Laserdisc. You know, you know what? I actually do because when I was look when we watch, well when I watched this other night and then I looked it up and I looked at the IMDb a Speed Zone. I didn't remember it as being a Cannonball Run thing, but I remember there quite a bit it being on cable because I remember this car movie with John Candy and the other people. So, I mean, I, I, I do remember it existing, but just a long time ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously everybody knows that Cannonball Run 2 exists, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like this first one was just a lot more... It was more relevant. I think by the time even Cannonball Run 2 came out, it wasn't... I mean, it was a hit, but I was looking at the box office. I don't think it was as big of a hit, you know? No. And I was actually surprised to read in the trivia that, like, Burt Reynolds just felt, like, kind of embarrassed by these movies. Really? Like, he said he just did them as, like, a favor to, to need them, but, like, really didn't, like, like thought that he was, like, doing them for the wrong reasons. And I was like, well, that's interesting, because it's... He certainly made worse movies than these, <laughs> you know? Well, and, I mean, it... Uh, you know, like, this movie, it really doesn't require his him to really use or display any acting ability whatsoever Mm -hmm. but i just got the idea that he was a taking an easy check but he was more doing it just for the fun of it you know what i mean yeah but i don't know you know you know bert is uh and we we were talking about all this crazy shit that's in hollywood too and I, i don't know if this is true i've read this in one article but supposedly bert has a lot of hollywood demons because he started very young and he claims some shit happened to him and that supposedly when he dies, he, he's written a book that will be only released uh, posthumously. And uh hate to bring this, uh, you know, this fun episode down. But yeah, like uh, maybe, you know, it, like we were saying, you know, it's a shame that he maybe regrets these movies. But maybe Bird is a lot more of a dark and tragic figure than we, you know, could possibly imagine, you know. Well, so the last thing I'll say about this is um, the direct. I don't, you know, the director Adam Rifkin. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's got a movie coming up that stars Burt Reynolds, and I just listened to a really good podcast interview with him where he talked about it's something he wrote just for Burt Reynolds, and he said that uh, he actually contacted Burt Reynolds' agent and said, like, look, give him the script. I know he doesn't do much anymore, but give him the script and tell him if he doesn't do it, I'm not making this film. And it's uh, from a, he didn't get too much in the story specifics, but he said it's very much like one of those kind of like you know something like uh, like the wrestler for Mickey Rourke or something you know something that was designed to be like a, a late career showcase for someone, to add, but also a, a character that's kind of based on Burt Reynolds. Wow. And apparently, Burt Reynolds called him back like the uh, next day after reading the script and said, you know, I, like ten years ago, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have felt ready to like make a movie that examines myself this way. But now I feel ready. And from what he said, I guess it's gotten some. It's already been getting like a lot of really good buzz and re- and reviews, and they sold it, and it's getting ready to come out. And I was just thinking, like, I really hope that does. I hope it's as good as it sounds because right. it would be cool to see him have like one last little hurrah. Because you know, it is weird to like think he was like the the biggest star, and that it all like 
went away and then almost came back with Boogie Nights. But I, he, he kind of like self-sabotaged it a little bit by talking shit about that film himself. And yeah. And like, yeah. But, so but, it, the, but that's what I mean about Bird is like, he, you know, I don't, it's kind of sad, but it's like, he never can just kind of let sleeping dogs lie. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do think, I think he deserves, you know, one last like. Oh, I think he's good. Time spotlight. You know? <clears throat> and, you know, obviously Hollywood, you know, when actors reach a certain age, both male and female, uh, there's just, there's no place for them in Hollywood anymore. And I think that happened a little bit with Burt, but like you said, Boogie Nights, and then, I don't know. But I mean, it, it's not like, I don't know, it's it's not like Burt was like destitute for 20 years, man. Like he, 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 you know, he had the sitcom Evening Shade, even though he might not have been, you know, he was nowhere near the huge box office star that he was he was still making some good checks you know mm-hmm. and um i'm trying to think the striptease happened before or after boogie nights i think it was like right after right so i mean he had some shit striptease man what a bizarre movie mm-hmm. like like you're, you're a few years younger than me trev but um when that movie striptease was in production man and it was also because it was kind of the height of uh Demi Moore's uh, whatever career, that movie, man, that's all you heard about day and night for months and months was strip tease, and it was like, it was going to be this provocative movie, and Demi Moore was like, you know, trained in stripping, like, people were so, like, excited about that nothing movie, and unfortunately, it's really not a good movie at all, and it kind of makes Bert, you know, I mean, Bert's playing a comedy part, but it, I think it really makes him look even more sillier than he should, but... Man, for I don't think we'll ever see another nothing movie like that capture the media's attention. You know. Yeah, I thought it was weird that he was so like vocal about his dislike of Boogie Nights, but like right. striptease was really the one he should have been kind of more embarrassed. <laughs> That's about. the one he should have ducked and died. Yeah. You know, I actually watched, and it was a very pedestrian um, movie, but I actually watched a directed video movie with Bert. Like, I want to say I got it out of Redbox. Let me see if I can just. Uh, put this because it's just driving me nuts the name of it but if anybody wants and it's a very you know I don't know it's a very like whatever uh, damn Bert has a lot in the hopper man shit I didn't realize all this was going on let's see do you remember that that's not the movie I'm looking at but do you remember when Bert had like that uh it was called Deal in 2008 he had that um that like card playing movie when card playing movies were kind of hot, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He had that come out. Damn, he's done so much shit. I can't even find that movie that I was that I was looking for. But it was it was basically it was Bert had like a hot younger wife, and um, he uh, like his basically his wife had an affair or whatever, and. Um, and then, like, Bert was, like, running around being, like, the jealous guy who, like, wanted to kill them and stuff and have them, you know, kind of be snuffed out. Man, I cannot find it. Wow, I didn't know Bert was in Driven with Rennie Har- you know, the Rennie Harlan movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was the guy running the team. Wow. I might have to read You know, that that's, like, one of the few Stallone movies I've never sat down to watch. It's bad. Is it okay? <laughs> I don't. I don't feel as bad. And, and Stallone was really like in his worst times of his uh, career. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's see. 
Boogie Nights. Or no, maybe, I think Striptease was like a couple, man. Bird has so much on IMDb, I can't. No, Striptease was right, yeah, it was actually right before. Well, Bert did a movie called Frankenstein and Me. <laughs> it looks like a terrible kids movie from 96. Yeah. Well, I won't bore I won't bore the audience anymore, but um but yeah, we uh we definitely need to dig into some more Bert. Tempted. That was the movie of Bert. Saffron Burrows and Peter Fascinelli. It's actually, I don't know. I might have to revisit that one. Because I, 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 I kind of like some old sleazy Bert. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought he, you know. I don't know. Something about Bert, too, is like the older he got, like, I don't know, like the kind of more fascinating he got in a way. You know what I mean? But I don't know. So, anyway, thank you so much, listeners, for uh, joining us here again on the Movie Graveyard. Uh, we got some more stuff coming, obviously. Uh, some stuff in the planning stages. So, you know. We're getting ready for 2018. Uh, thanks so, so much for listening. Trev, I want to thank you once again for joining me. Um, of course, we can never forget about the Days of Future pa- uh, podcast. Uh, that is a podcast examining the X-Men. What's mm-hmm. going on in the world of X-Men right now? Uh, you know, not like just gearing up for a whole bunch of new X movies. They just right. announced uh, apparently a multiple man movie in the works of James Franco. That we got sounds some, cool. Finally, some movement on Gambit with Channing Tatum. And then, of course, we got New Mutants coming, Deadpool 2 and X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, the Gifted is on Fox right now and is much better than I think a lot of us expected it to be. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, just a bunch of stuff going on in the comics world. So just give us a listen every two weeks and we'll we'll talk all about it. And I gotta ask you, Trevor, and, and excuse me if this isn't something to ask on the air, but I know you're a huge, huge, huge X Men fan, and, I, and I've listened to a lot, especially the early episodes of Days of Future Podcast. So, I mean, I know how deep into the actual comics and everything you get. But X Men was always like kind of an underdog type thing to me, and now X Men has—I mean, it's been running wild for a while, but I feel like we're on at like an insane proliferation level right now of X-Men. Like, does that in any way dampen like your enthusiasm as like, Oh, pretty much a lifelong fan of it. Like, are you, you know, wish they would pull back a little bit or what? In like the media sense or well, like there's like, isn't there like three X-Men movies coming out next year? I'm just X-Men. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it actually, it really doesn't. Um, so I kind of disagree with you in that. I feel like, when I was a kid, as well, especially like in the '90s, there was a time where X Men was like the biggest thing in comics. That is true. And there was like multiple X Men titles at that time, which is has always been the case since. And I think then, it's, since then, it's kind of gone in like ebbs and, and waves. And I think right now, it's in the comic world, kind of com- enjoying a little comeback. And I think the, the thing that's great about um, X Men is it's, it's it's even though it's in Marvel, it's kind of its own self-contained universe. Right. And that's what I like about Fox owning it is that it gets to just be their superhero universe. And that's why I'm dreading the idea of Disney buying Fox because I don't want yeah. Disney to own the X-Men. Yeah. I think it's a nightmare scenario. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I mean, I'm not sick of it because Fox is actually doing the cool thing of trying different things. So New Mutants is a horror film, you know, um, Gambit is 
going to be like a heist movie. Hopefully, uh, Multiple Man will hopefully be like kind of a cool R-rated noir film. So we'll see. Like as long as I keep them different, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sick of it yet. But I'm true. also not sick of MCU yet, so I'm the wrong person to ask. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And again, again, we can't we can't you know forget your original podcast, my personal favorite podcast. That I always, you know, it only comes out about once a month, but I hungrily download every new episode of If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. Um, the last episode that came out, I'm getting, I get my signals for what was the last episode that came out of If It Bleeds? What was the topic? Uh, oof, was that our David Lynch one, or I guess it was no, it was the Halloween ones we did, right? Oh, that, our okay, George, yeah, our Romero episodes, yeah, yeah. So. So get those Romero episodes. I think we plugged those on the last episode here, but get those Romero episodes. I'm on the second one where we cover all the non-zombie films of George Romero. So, yeah, Days of Future podcast. Um, and if it bleeds, we could kill it. For me, myself, I just have this show going currently. I had my spinoff show, The Goat Show. Unfortunately, it went down in flames of uh, Talk Shoes, Nightmare of Technical Issues. So I don't know what's going to happen with that project, <laughs> but I'm just putting all my my time and energy full force into the movie Graveyard. So, Trev, thank you for coming up with the genius idea of us uh, watching Cannonball Run. Thank you for making all those awesome podcasts, including my favorite, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. And thank you, and thank you to all the listeners for joining us here, and we will see you next time in the movie Graveyard.